Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Sammy Roberts and I'm joined today by Matthew Castle. It's a me! Ah, very good, Matthew. That hints a little bit about what this episode is about, which, um, yeah. to be honest, if you've downloaded this, you'll know anyway, because it'll be in the uh, in iTunes and all those places. Oh, spoilers. Yeah. Um, so, Matthew, we have a guest for the first time. Catherine, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, uh, I'm Catherine Castle, uh, the hardware editor of RPS. From my surname, you probably... I'm also Matthew's wife. So yes, there are there are two castles in the world of video games. Yeah, that's me. That can yes. only be a good thing. More <laughs> castles. Yes, castle crashes. I'm sure people have made that joke before. Uh, sorry, it's barely even a joke, to be honest. Trace amounts of humour detected. Um, uh, Catherine, I'm really happy to have you on. Um, you are, to me, like one of the most underrated writers in games media. Um, that's I always, very kind. <laughs> well, I always, always, used to always love commissioning your work on um, PC Gamer. And I know that you kind of uh, work really hard um, covering numerous graphics cards and um, uh, like be- benchmarking tools and mm. uh, and the like and yep. SSDs on a lot rock of, paper a shotgun. Lot of graphics cards. <laughs> yeah, and so um, you know you kind of have a house full of peripherals. That's uh, back when it was legal for me to visit the um, castle household. <laughs> That's what I noted: the sheer amount of keyboards and mice. <laughs> yes, yeah, I think we probably could, you know, serve serve a, a small LAN party with peripherals with the number of the number of bits and pieces we've got in our spare room stacked up. Um, and boxes. <laughs> it's like the Argos warehouse in our house. Yeah, our cats like it though. They they are very fond of the the box forts that we construct every now and again. And maybe we should have a LAN party when um, COVID's over. Yeah. That'll be um, that'll be fun. <laughs> So Catherine, why don't you tell us a bit? Tell us a bit about yourself. So um, you've worked on MCV in the past, right? So you're kind of like industry mm. side, then went consumer side. Um, tell us a bit about your sort of professional history. Uh, yeah, so I, I started as a tech journalist um, a little bit before MCV. Uh, I worked for a um, it was sort of a combination of a website and a magazine, both uh, with different names, which is, is, is confusing. Uh, the magazine was called Computer Shopper, and the website was called Expert Reviews. Very original name. Um, so yeah, I I was a tech journalist on that for about four years, kind of reviewing all sorts of bits of consumer tech. Spent most of my time uh, reviewing very cheap smartphones. The number of yeah, the number of smartphones I've reviewed in my time, I still get kind of mild flashbacks every time there's a new Apple or a Samsung launch. Um, you've you've been in the room with a celebrity when they announced a phone, right? Well, actually, I, w- I was just outside the I was just outside the room. Henry Cavill, okay, not Henry this, Cavill. This, this I, is AKA. already not shaping up to be the strongest anecdote. <laughs> well, that's the thing. We were all in a queue to basically get a review sample after this press conference, and then they suddenly stopped handing out. They suddenly stopped handing them out and said, "Henry Cavill's coming. You know, is is on stage now, kind of introducing this phone that we've literally just sort of been sit- sitting through an hour an hour long press conference." And they were trying to get us all to go back in this room to kind of watch Henry Cavill talk about this phone. Um, <sighs> It was the one that they got both him and I think Gal Gadot to kind of market. Scarlett Johansson and stuff. Yeah, there, there were sort of quite big name celebrities uh, associated with this phone. But we were all in this queue and there were so many journalists. Um, and I was quite near the front and I didn't really want to lose my place in the queue. As much as I would have loved to have seen Henry Cavill. Um, yeah, sort of AKA. You know, that is a dilemma. The Witcher um, and Superman. And That's all like, that do I want to see him? <laughs> Do I want to see Henry Cavill or do I want to get the mini burgers from the free bar? <laughs> it was it was pretty much that that decision. So I I unfortunately had to stay in the queue. I chose to stay in the queue and miss Henry Cavill. 
but yes, within uh, within within sort of you know not 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 exactly spitting distance, but almost of Henry Cavill. Yeah. <laughs> so if this was my girlfriend, she would have definitely picked Henry Cavill every <laughs> single time, even if I was also at the venue and um, with the mini burgers. Um, but yeah, so I did that for about four years, and then I moved over to MCV, which is for those who don't know it, uh, is kind of the the video games industry's kind of like business magazine. Uh, so it's kind of very, very much B2B. But that's also kind of the Computer Shopper had, had been like a monthly magazine. But this, uh, this, uh, this, this one was uh, weekly. It was weekly Dear deadlines. God. And it, it was oh horrendous. <laughs> yeah. Whenever you told me about this, uh, the kind of the idea of a weekly deadline. I mean, I suppose I work online now where you have daily deadlines. Yeah, but... exactly. It's kind of like, as you say, like e- even though having worked online before, which is, yeah, every day is basically your deadline having to basically corral a fresh batch of interviews, features, and we did like a lot of original news reporting, mostly uh, taken from the interviews that we did every week. So there was just no, you know, there, there wasn't time to do anything else that was separate. Mm. But yeah, doing that every week and trying to get marketing people and sales people to just kind of actually re- respond to your emails was that that was tough. That was uh, definitely a different a different set of challenges to working on a consumer tech mag. Yeah, yeah, you didn't get a ch- you didn't get a chance to play many games in that role, I guess. Well, we sort of yeah. It, it, I never really sort of played games for review uh, or anything like that. We sort of got a ca- occasionally if there was. I think that's, uh, we 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 tended to get a lot of like extra peripherals. You know, if, if people would send us merchandise to include we had mm, we, we had like the a fun, couple the of, fun bit of video games. <laughs> we had like a couple of pages of like because this magazine was largely going out to you know retailers and things like that it's like here's all the here's all the game tat that you can you can fill your stores with um so yeah we, we sometimes got sent that sort of stuff but yeah we, we didn't we didn't get sent a, 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 any you know a huge amount of games i mean luckily it did actually go bi-weekly shortly after i i arrived it sort of became a kind of um it's still tough doing a bi-weekly magazine but it's definitely better than <laughs> weekly the, yeah. the mega nightmare I used to think the, the, the time I, I pitted you a lot of the time with these deadlines, <laughs> but the one that used to kill me was when you were doing the was it the mini mag at Gamescom? Oh yeah, oh man. So we yeah we had we had like a deal with the people at Gamescom that MCV would be like the official magazine of Gamescom, um, which meant doing a, a daily a daily magazine. We had to make wow. a magazine in a day. So we back at Gamescom. <laughs> at Gamescom, which was just like it was actually nightmarish. Like we'd be sat in because we didn't. You, we'd be sat in like UT's stand, which is kind of like the UK consumer trade body. Uh, they, That's a nice stand, to be fair. That's it, a nice Gamescom stand. Yeah, but like we'd be sat there on a tiny table. There, there were three of us on, on MCV, and we'd we'd be sat there on this kind of like you know a table for basically one person making a magazine. While the rest of the industry was having all of their like, you know, their Gamescom drinks, it was <laughs> it's like, oh come on, because it was because like, Yuki would always do their stand as kind of like it would look like a British fate, yeah. So it would have like a little white fence around it, and there'd be bunting everywhere, and yeah. you know, I don't know, maybe someone dressed up as a Morris dancer, <laughs> which is just like something you do not want to see when you're trying to make a magazine. No, no yeah, we, so we sort of had had like really packed mornings. We sort of packed in as many interviews as we could and just sort of like yeah kind of scraped any bit of quote that we could just to kind of turn it into a page news story I mean these these were tiny magazines they were kind of like a5 uh, so they weren't like normal size mags but yeah even so it was 
yeah, that was that was uh, an experience I don't wish to repeat. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's fair enough. Um, yeah, so uh, how about working on rock, paper, shotgun, Catherine? What is your sort of like day-to-day look like? So this is actually, yeah, so I've, I've sort of gone back almost to um, what I was doing before on, on Computer Shopper and Expert Reviews, kind of like consumer tech again, but kind of with a much more kind of strong kind of PC gaming angle. I don't have to do any smartphones, which is good. Um <laughs> That's that, 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 that was my one thing. As long as I don't have to review another smartphone, I'm good. So yeah, I, I, I now review kind of all manner of graphics cards, SSDs, mice, monitors, basically any sort of like, if it's a lump of plastic to do with your PC, that's, that's what I test every day. Um, I do get to write about games occasionally, which is quite nice. Hmm. It's quite a nice balance of um, tech stuff and, and games, but yeah. Mainly, mainly is it's 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 testing hardware and benchmarking. And you have to deal with the uh, ludicrous naming conventions of um, PC gaming hardware, which um, <laughs> yeah. I'm con- I'm constantly bewildered by the numbering systems of like graphics cards and um, CPUs. And yeah. I have no idea what it's really based on, and um, and also uh, peripherals that have lots of LEDs stuck on oh, them for yeah. no reason. It's it's also- all all about the RGB lighting. <laughs> <laughs> peripherals named after deadly snakes yes, which, which is that. just such a terrible name for a mouse because it's the one <laughs> thing you don't want to put your hand on is a snake and they're like here's an adder and you're like no I, like psychologically it's a huge leap for me yeah, well, yeah. It's, not, it's not even a, it's, it's not even an adder half the time you know they've, they've kind of got they've you know they've got like death adders and very <laughs> you know kind of like quite serious kind of i don't know if they feel like yeah lethal bits of they should name them after things you want to touch, like, you know, a lovely soft cat's back or something. Uh, well, you know, I mean, despite the uh, silly name, uh, Matthew, it's a bloody good mouse, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. The Death Adder is uh, top. I've got one myself. It's, uh, it is good. But, um, yeah, would I like to, you know, explain to my parents what uh, what the name of this mouse is? Probably not. No, but, definitely um, not. <laughs> yeah. So, Catherine, tell me a bit about your sort of gaming background. Like, what were your sort of primary formats growing up? And, um, you know, what what do you sort of play these days? So, I, I was very much in a, in a uh, Nintendo household when I was growing up. My two older brothers, um, they had a NES. Pretty much kind of, I think they... I was asking them about this, because uh, as, as far as I'm concerned, like, it's basically been around for as long as I've been alive. And I think, yeah, they, they got it probably like a couple of years after I was born so it's yeah as far as I'm concerned I've I've I th- there's always been a NES in my in my house um as far back as I can remember and like you know they they had a they had Game Boy as well so yeah I I mean at the time obviously I was far too young to like actually play games properly but I used to like watch them play games like on Saturday mornings in our tiny kitchen tv um and kind of you know thought like oh man they look so cool i played like a lot of the openings of games because i was either too you know too young or too stupid to actually work out how to how to play them properly um because you know there were no walkthroughs back in those days Um, well also there were nes games and and nes games are like just like you know this is this is going to be awful and you will never finish it yeah that's the nes game hard or broken you can never tell (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so i was kind of like i was fed like a very you know a strong diet of mario and zelda games from like quite an early age and you know that only kind of like grew as the years went on you know we got we eventually got snares and you know i got my own game boy and then we got the n64 like we never owned like a huge number of games if only because like you know back then they were like properly expensive and you know you only really ever got one for like christmas and birthdays um but we got like you know most of the big first party nintendo games were 
or what I kind of played growing up. We did have a PC in the house as well, I think around like 1994. Again, this is kind of based on what my brothers have told me. I think they they got it when Doom 2 came out back in the days when, you know, you couldn't just launch a game from Windows. You had to kind of go into MS-DOS prompt. And I remember kind of like whenever I wanted to play something, bearing in mind I was probably about six or seven around this time trying to play Doom 2, I sort of always had to get like someone to kind of boot it up for me because I just didn't understand how to use MS-DOS prompt. But yeah, we sort of, we had like a, again, like a kind of a handful of PC games, um, like your Doom 2, Theme Park, Warcraft 2, and Magic Carpet is the one I always remember that no one, no one ever uh, understood how to play Magic Carpet. That game sucked. That was the worst. <laughs> I, I will say that um, your MS-DOS uh, MS prompt thing is actually triggering a memory of mine, which is, I remember my dad, pay, like, blue tacked onto the wall, like, um, C, uh, backslash, backslash... <laughs> Um, X-Wing, backslash, backslash, like, B-Wing, or whatever, and, like, <laughs> so I knew how to do it without getting him to help me boot it, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, yeah. Was, uh, that was, like, a kid-proofing, that yeah. was. Um, I, I, yeah. I do remember feeling quite proud when I sort of eventually, you know, after many tries and efforts to, you know, actually remember the combination of how to how to kind of play Doom by myself without having to get anyone to come do it for me. I remember sort of feeling like, yes, I finally conquered the PC! Um <laughs> But yeah, so he sort of. I think, I think I literally had games from that era that I didn't know how to make work, and so just thought, oh well, that's that. Though. This is broken. <laughs> <laughs> we just had games we never played because I couldn't yeah. work out how to use that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Catherine, um, were you a big Smash Bros. player uh, growing up? Um, well, kind of yes. In that, like, I had you know, while I had two older brothers, I always had a younger brother as well. So there were like four of us for you know, particularly. When 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 Super Smash Brothers first came out on the N sixty four, like that was prime sibling, you know, multiplayer times, and that you know we obviously had Goldeneye as well, and Perfect Dark, and that was yeah, kind of one of our one of our big multiplayer games. Yeah, I raised this because uh, I think it was like a couple of Christmases ago we thought we'd play, <laughs> you know, um, you two and me and my partner would play Smash Bros Ultimate uh, on the Switch uh, just for, just for a bit of fun. And you absolutely fucking demolished us, um, and it was like the it was like a, an American sports movie or something, like the natural. And then I immediately just twigged, ah, oh, she has three brothers. Yeah, like uh, that's exactly why you have been in the like the fires of learning how to like master Smash Bros. Yeah, it was basically you know like sink or swim in those times, and I was you know a prime prime competitive kind of environment in that like often I would be beaten by in basically in anything. It was. If, if if we played anything together, the the winners were pretty much in order of age. So I'd I'd never really come first or second. I was always you near know, number three, um, or you know if if I was particularly unlucky, I'd I'd always come last or things like that. So yeah, I sort of I had to I had to sort of learn how to kind of play these games in order to to try and cl- you know claw back the odd victory every now and again. Yeah, a, ta- a tale of childship uh, woe there. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like uh, yeah. Okay, great. So the one last thing I kind of wanted to ask about uh, before we jump into talking a bit about more about um, Super Mario 3D World, which is the uh, the thing we're going to discuss the most in this podcast, but also Mario a bit generally. Um, you two met at an event for uh, a, a, well, a kind of fairly obscure Wii RPG. Is that right? The last story? Yes. Can you talk a bit yeah. about this? Yeah, it was yeah an RPG for Wii made by uh, Sakaguchi of uh, Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy yeah. fame. 
and he was uh, to promote it. They brought him over to do a talk at BAFTA, kind of a, a kind of like my life in games and like the making of The Last of Us. Um, I think Keza McDonald yeah. hosted it. Yeah, she did. Um, and we were covering it in that issue on N Gamer. Was it Nintendo? No, it would have been maybe it was an even Nintendo Gamer at that point. Um, either way, uh, and. We'd done like an interview with him, and as part of that, the PRs were like, "Oh, if you want, you can we can get you a ticket to come and see this thing." And it was a Lon- it was an evening event in London, and it wasn't actually going to benefit the mag. I so nearly didn't go to this event, <laughs> um, which now seems cra- like crazy to me. But like, it was like, do I really want to go? Oh, I don't know if I can be bothered, but you know, I think I I think I probably only went because it let me get out of work early. <laughs> uh. Yeah, and then we, yeah, we just yeah, we ended up sitting next to each other at this interview event. Yeah, yeah, I I, I was there. This was even pre before you know pre me working at Computer Shopper. I was working for a Japanese newswire at the time called GG Press, um, doing. It was a very boring job um, talking to analysts and stuff. But I sort of also had the scope to do kind of basically anything that was kind of Anglo Japanese related, uh, you know, to write news stories for the. For the, for the newswire in Japan. And I, I basically kind of jumped on this as like, finally, there's something I can write about. Because, you know, like kind of, there wasn't a huge amount of, you know, Anglo, and you know, kind of like Britain slash Japan, you know, Japan related news going on. So I sort of jumped on this as a kind of like, I can finally do a proper news story rather than just collecting very boring comments about the gold market every day. Um, <laughs> so yeah, as, as Matthew said, like we just sort of happened to sit next to each other. I think sort of at the time I was, because I was kind of quite bored in my job, I was sort of trying to kind of make freelance inquiries to various magazines. And I was sort of, you know, I I, I actually recognised Matthew. Cause I think, yeah, I think it was Nintendo Gamer at the time. And I think a friend had put me in touch with someone on Edge, and they sort of said, you know, you know, Nintendo gamers just had a big redesign, you know, maybe try and, you know, they might be looking for people to, to write some stuff for them. And um... Classic edge deflection. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and so I, I actually sort of recognised Matthew from his picture in the magazine. It's like, oh man, it's that guy, it's him. Um, wow. Uh, and yeah, then... yeah, I mean, yeah, what, a, what a shocker. He's so memorable <laughs> from his photo. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I sort of like I sort of it was it was sort of one of those it wasn't kind of starstruck, but I was like, you know, I've got to act cool, I've got to not stare because he probably I don't know <laughs> I didn't really know very much about the world of games journalism at all at that point. I sort of you know didn't didn't want to come across as like this kind of like weird starey girl at this event, so I just kind of tried to play it cool and then um, yeah, but- that's funny because after the event, I turned to Matt Pellet, who was also there, and said. Um, said oh that weird starey girl seemed nice <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was, it was it was it was um wait i think we ended up talking quite a lot afterwards about skyward sword and mm. i remember because i think i was i i sort of had read the the edge review which i didn't know that you'd written at the time <laughs> um and i was saying like oh i just i just don't think it's a 10 you know like <laughs> yeah great <laughs> But Did obviously... you just drink, um, just drink like a glass of wine immediately, Matthew, and walk off? Is that what there? <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a very nice story. It was a very bold choice of you to have um, uh, Sakaguchi later officiate your wedding. But, um, <laughs> yeah. One I feel very much, uh, yeah, 
made the day very special um well thank you very much for the uh little breakdown of your sort of career and taste there Catherine. No i think that was um yeah it was definitely uh it was cool to hear about that stuff so mm. we're going to take a short break and then we're going to come back and talk about super mario 3d world and bowser's fury and a bit about mario 3d in general Welcome back, the two of you. I'm not used uh, to thank welcoming. You. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not used to welcoming back two people, so it's um, I got a bit frazzled by the the thought of it. Um, so we thought in this episode we would talk about Super Mario 3D World. Uh, so this is a Wii U game released in 2013 that is now being uh, re-released on Switch with uh, what is apparently like a, a brand new game attached to it, uh, albeit not a very long one, um, according mm. to the previews we've read. So yeah, but by the time you're listening to this episode, this will be out, and you can play it on your Switch at home. Um, but Super Mario 3D World, we've discussed it a bit in uh, past episodes. And um, yeah, so the kind of general gist of it was Matthew says boo and Samuel says good. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, Catherine, you're our guest. Like, um, what's your take on this game? Did you play it at the time when it came out with you? I did, yeah. I actually reviewed it. This was one of the, the, the few games, or certainly few, the, one, one, one of the only Mario games I've actually reviewed kind of professionally. This was back when I was an... Uh, computer shop and expert reviews kind of doing doing it for the website because they wouldn't allow they wouldn't allow nintendo games to go into a largely pc magazine understandably no matter how much i i i I kind of tried to persuade them to put in a tiny half page review of a nintendo game they wouldn't have it um but yes i i I did actually say yeah that i did actually review this back into i gave it four out of five i'm probably more on matthew's side of the fence here um because wounding i'm sorry um but yeah i think like i think like my 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 verdict at the time um was that it never quite breaks out of the shadow of super mario 3d land which was on 3ds um but it's still you know it is it is still fundamentally like a great mario game both for you know if you're playing it alone or, or with friends and i think you know that that still holds true i think because like 3d land I really, I really liked 3D Land on the 3DS, and this felt like it was um, a kind of bigger, shinier version of that. Um, like, I think it was trying to maybe combine, like, you know, the 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 kind of the popular format of like the new Super Mario Brothers of the two, you know, the the, the 2D Mario games, with mm. like the big 3D blockbuster kind of ambition of 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 your Mario galaxies and sort of thing. But yeah, it did. I think it, you know, it did sort of suffer because it came, you know, in terms of being on console, it did come after Galaxy 2. Like, you know, it is following, you know, I think Matthew said, said this before, that like it was following like one of the best games of all time. So it's kind of like, it's a, t- it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sort of tough position to be in, I think, you know, mm. being in that kind of like, um, you know, if, if say there had been like another big console Mario game in between that and galaxy 2 then maybe you know it might have felt like a bit more of a an event sort of thing but i think Mm, like mm. i think my 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 main problem with it as i say it's still like a really fun um you know i've sort of actually been been replaying a little bit of it this week and it's it it is a really fun mario game and it's great i think i largely played it by myself at the time but you know i've been playing with matthew this this week and it's it is like you know it is really good fun and the music still is still brilliant um, just like the sheer amount of ideas that it has, and you know the the number that it throws at you, 
is is it's just really good fun but like at the time i just remember it feeling like it was um it felt like too much like a handheld game like i remember in particular like the the, the captain toad sections you know, mm. I just felt like they would have been such like the perfect thing for the 3DS because they were sort of like little kind of cuboid levels that you'd, you know, spin around and change the camera to find sort of stars and stuff. And I just sort of like, I just felt like, you know, oh, if only there was like a 3D slider, this would look amazing in 3D on, on, on the 3DS. Did they ever port Captain Toad to 3DS? Yeah, they yeah. did, just, yeah. They sort of, they, they, they released it on, they did Treasure Tracker on the Wii U. And then later, sort of did a switch and 3DS release at the same time. So it <laughs> it did eventually get there, but yeah, sort of like very much after the fact. But yeah, I think kind of because it was again at the time it came out, it felt like it was being pulled in like two different directions. But yeah, yeah. I, I think that I think that like um, if I can pick up on what I think Matthews uh, and perhaps your Catherine, uh, your kind of main sort of like point on why this doesn't compare to the likes of Galaxy, it's the gulf in imagination, isn't it? And like the ambition and like uh, level design, which I don't contest. Like I don't actually think this is a better game than Galaxy. Um, mm-hmm. I think that it's um, it is a really really good meat and potatoes Mario game. And um, actually, as I was doing a bit of um, research on what the um, Bowser's Fury um, element uh, includes, um, Joe Scrabbles and IGN also made the point that uh, this is kind of part of the Mario Bros. 2D lineage more than it is part of the Galaxy uh, Mario 3D. Uh, sorry, mm. um, Super Mario and yeah. lineage. You know, yeah. So, um, do you think that's the fair? Like, is is that the yeah. difference here? Like the kind of ambition and the kind of escalation. There's there's some of that. I think that the there's this, there's this weird thing that you got from some of the uh, I can't remember which of us are asked, but it's definitely been raised that. Basically, they made Mario Galaxy, which loads of people love, loads of journalists love. If you love your 3D platformers and you're very familiar with 3D platformers, you will know that that is a a beautiful, almost peerless game. But like sales-wise, it's obviously it did really well, but it did like nothing compared to like New Super Mario Brothers. Mm-hmm. And I think that lodged with Nintendo, and Nintendo have had this sort of like slight bee in their bonnet about is it a Mario game everyone can enjoy? I think that's actually the metric by which they they rate things. And so despite having made Mario Galaxy, I think they, they were constantly trying to make a more accessible game. And there were, I, I just got this sense that somewhere there was the feeling that like Galaxy was too much to be accessible. Because I don't know if you remember, when Galaxy 2 came out, like it came with like a... I don't think if it was in-game or a separate DVD, but there was like a video series on like how to play Mario Galaxy to Mm. try and explain. Because they were like, oh, one of the big challenges in this game is people getting over the initial hump of how to like control, you know, how to maneuver in 3D space. It's too confusing for people. So the, the logic of a Mario that sits more between 3D and 2D you know the movement in this game is di- is 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 not fully analog it's it's eight directional it's you know it's yeah. d-pad movement which is one of my big problems with it because the you just lose the grace of 3D Mario you know the character that initially showed us what, how good an analog stick could be it mm. seemed perverse to me to be stepping back <laughs> but then that move wasn't aimed at me, you know, it was aimed at... They wanted to make a Mario that could really bust out and be as big as New Super Mario Brothers on the DS, which, you know, they're entitled to do. But I, I, I think that's the maybe the problem at the heart of this game. Mm. Yeah, it feels like that's a real hangover of the kind of Wii era where... Um... 
you know, where, where like a new Super Mario Brothers Wii, um, I believe, did have a, a, a setting that let players to let the computer take over if they got stuck on a section. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so this is kind of what Nintendo was thinking at the time. And uh, yeah, I think Mario Galaxy was still a mega-selling game, but not compared to yeah, it was like no, I mean, three like, times more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, mm. and 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 with that, I just think it, it comes to limitation. But there's also like the aesthetic of it, the side-on view. It just limits some of the things that they can do visually with that space. I would say that replaying it this week, I was struck by like the density of ideas. I think it has as many like mechanics and ideas as a galaxy but they're just presented in a bit more sort of stripped back kind of bare way like i think galaxy it has like a, a much more magical wrapping on it yeah um, what do you make of it then uh, replaying it catherine what kind of stood out as like um but parts that you thought it, it did well versus other 3d marios um i think certainly like playing it in co-op definitely changes the whole dynamic of both kind of the, the the pacing of those levels and just kind of the sheer chaos that can ensue. Like, I think it's actually a lot more fun in that, you know, particularly like we've, we've sort of had this growing rivalry about who gets the crown at the end, um, <laughs> which like through, through each level, you kind of accrue a certain number of points, you know, depending on how many enemies you, how many enemies you kill and, or, you know, stomp on the head of and how many coins you get and how many screen stars, you know, you get points for all of these things. It's all about the green stars. <laughs> that 4,000 <laughs> point bonus. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And kind of at the end of, at the end of each level, you're all, all those points are racked up and the winner gets, gets this kind of crown that they wear in the next level. And you can lose it. Like, or, you know, you can either kind of get it knocked off your head if you get hit by an enemy or if you, you know, if you die within the level, you know, it then doesn't come back. But if you then... That's good. I like that because that's like destroy the crown so no one can enjoy it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's better that there's no crown yeah. rather than the threat of the crown goes to the other person. Yeah. Like, uh, it's like Crusader Kings or something. Yeah. 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 But sort of, you know, if, if, if you then bring the crown to the end of the level, you get another 5,000 point bonus, which is, you know, worth, worth mega points. And yeah, like having, having that kind of extra kind of competition to... Spice, spice up a level um you know that that definitely brings like an extra kind of um a bit you know an extra kind of energy to it and it's especially fun if you force the player who doesn't have the crown has to refer to the other player as your majesty o- only it makes you the whole that. thing a lot better <laughs> <laughs> only you do that but i think like you know the, I'd, I'd forgotten how um like some of the power-ups in in 3d world like i'd forgotten how much like fun the cat suit is um, oh they're great yeah. and you know like i think that that helps give you know i mean mario you know he jumps he does wall jumps like they've 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 always had like mario levels have always had like a certain height to them but i think like the cat suit because you can just kind of climb up any surface to an extent like that opens up the level or it feels like it opens it up a bit more than you know traditional platforming sections where you'd be you know you'd be stuck in a kind of bit that you had to sort of jump out of and just like the double cherry like that how, how is that not like you know made more of an appearance over the years like that's that's a really fun um playful power-up um it's quite a sad power-up because you've got you know it, it raises the same questions as the prestige <laughs> about like which yeah. mario is the real mario and which mario is which mario is in the box you know schrodinger's um. mario um <laughs> Yeah, but I, you know, I, it's, I'm I'm glad that it is getting like another outing on the Switch because I think like you know it is a game that is you know 
it is a lot of fun and more people like it deserves more people to it deserves to have more people play it much like much like most of the Wii U's catalogue so yeah, I'm 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 glad it is getting another outing because yeah, it is. While it's not, as I say, like an all-time great Mario for me, it is. Yeah, there is something about it that, yeah, particularly in co-op, which I think you know, particularly now when you know we we're sort of turning more towards co-op games more than ever. While it's not kind of magical or as magical as say a Galaxy in single player, there is like a there is a magic to it in co-op. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, I actually thought, Matthew, that you might have been quite cool on the cat power because it does sort of make you incredibly powerful and it turns the level a bit chaotic. Um, it, it's it's okay. I, I think it, I think Catherine's right about like the height and stuff, and that's fine. I mean, I guess the problem I have with it is like I find the climbing quite not very enjoyable as a Mario movement. You know, like I, I was always very sore in this game that Mario lost the triple jump. Yeah. Um, and the idea that like they took away a jump and then the big power at the heart of it wasn't really about jumping it was about climbing which isn't like a particularly exciting motion i don't I, like i don't know the cat it's funny i tell you what i do like i really like the um diagonal downward like pounce mm. uh, that he does just cuz you're an absolute missile and when you <laughs> when you do it and there's quite a lot of level design and challenges where there are like tiny gaps you can kind of fire mario through which is quite fun that i like i've definitely i've definitely sort of that's definitely caused me a lot of accidental deaths sort of accidentally hitting that button i've sort of you know pl- kind of plummeted to my doom yeah down many a holes. Death plummet <laughs> move is always a gamble <laughs> Yeah, and I like that too. I think the cat. Um, I like that you're sort of you only ever really feel, feel about eighty percent in charge of how the cat Mario moves. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I sort of also like that it gives Mario a bit of a sort of like Primark onesie, like sofa masturbator <laughs> energy. Um, <laughs> uh, less so the other characters, but Mario in particular. Um, anyway, yeah, sorry to disgust you all there. Um, <laughs> So um, I was wondering what you two made of the um, Bowser's Fury content they've talked about. So it's it's quite complex by the sound of it. You pick it uh, as a separate game from the main menu and um, you have like an AI companion at times and there's like this black ooze and a more open world um, with more open worldy kind of level bits. So And uh, it's also got the kind of a Breath of the Wild uh, Blood Moon element where um, Bowser goes kaiju at midnight and you can become <laughs> giant cat Mario. Um, have you done much reading about this? Does it sound interesting to you as a, an additional element? Yeah, I like because it's new and like any new Mario, I obviously want to play and get excited about. Like I've avoid I've avoided too many like deep dives into it. I've read some stuff. I actually haven't watched much because I want to kind of play it for myself. Uh, but it doesn't look much like three D World, you mm. know, in that it's and correct me if I'm wrong. Like I don't think you can do like four player co op in it. It's a bit more of a sort of single player thing. The fact that it's like one massive world is a bit more like Odyssey or like Sunshine sixty four that kind of thinking. Mm. Um, I, I really like the dual state idea that there's like just this maniac can turn up at some <laughs> point and make everything much harder. Um, but I also get the feeling that there's certain things you can only do when he is when Bowser is in his like giant state. Like, there's bits you can only get to or things you can only interact with, so it's like a fun risk-reward thing. I mean, 
I'm super intrigued by it for sure. Yeah, same. Yeah, I like. Um, yeah, same here. I mean, just um, when they whenever they do these kind of um, re-releases, they tend to add some new elements to them, right? So, um, mm. or at least collect all the DLC. Uh, so yeah, I'm sort of curious too. Uh, maybe it's... they're using it as a kind of like um, sort of experimental, sort of like I don't know, sandbox for if people like this, maybe we'll make a full game of it. You know? Mm. Yeah, I mean, like I'm assuming this isn't just what the team's been doing since odyssey <laughs> uh, like they've been making years. like a that that whole marrow team has been making a a bowser a one bowser level for <laughs> an add-on of super mario 3d world um you know i i i really want them to do like another odyssey or another odyssey-esque game um so um, maybe this was just to like keep them bit keep them busy in like you know between big projects or something yeah um but yeah, it's it's annoying. Like I think if the, there are very few series where I would consider putting down fifty quid for an extra three hours, hmm. um, or I think that's what people say. It's roughly three three to six hours or something. Um, but like I I like I will buy this because of this. <laughs> uh, like I feel like I don't have any control over that. I almost wish that three um, D World was like a parallel series to uh, like the likes of Odyssey. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, in the same way that New Super Mario Bro- uh, Brothers was like a parallel game to um, the mm-hmm. Galaxy games, like uh, I feel like then maybe um, it would seem, uh, you know, its relative like lack of sort of um, imagination uh, would seem less egregious, um, perhaps. Yeah, um, I mean, like it must be very, very difficult for Nintendo with the Wii U generation to like extract any lessons from that particular generation of console just because it's sold so few mm. you can't really compare it to anything you can't say well what does this teach us about the appetites of people mm. because they only sold whatever like 13 million of them <laughs> or something you know they sold like fewer wii U. they sold about a third the number of wii U's as they did individual mario games on the wii i mean that's bad <laughs> you know and so they can't you know i imagine their original idea you know they probably made this as a test of like is there more of an appetite for this? We don't know. I mean, if Super Mario 3D World goes on to sell, you know, 15 million, 20 million on Switch or whatever, which can and does happen quite often for, for these games, <laughs> um, maybe that will be it. Maybe this will be the point where Mario branches into two 3D series and, you know, you'll get Cat Mario forevermore and be a very happy man. Yeah, I think, like, particularly now that there's not that, you know, not that distinction between like handheld Mario and console Mario. Um, like, yeah, I, I definitely would like, I'd, I'd like to see a return to this kind of Mario as, as a palate cleanser to those like big, you know, to, to your odysseys and all that sort of stuff. I would definitely much prefer this to another new Super Mario Brothers for sure. Definitely. Um, Cause I, I, I don't know what it is about those new Super Mario Brothers games, but I just didn't get on with them at all. Um, they're probably like my least favorite type of Mario game. Yeah, Matthew has mm. dunked on them in the past. <laughs> um, I think like um, uh, my sort of feeling is that I, I've, I years ago reached the limits of what the joy that 2D Mario can give me. Yeah. Um, and other people I know do not feel that way. But um, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. Is that your sort of take on it too, Matthew? Yeah, I I just think I've been spoiled by just like the pure imagination of, of 3D Mario you know, I think 2D Mario, like, began that innovation arc, you know, through the NES and the SNES. Those games were getting increasingly more complex and interesting. 
and they all added something new. So, but then the pitch of New Super Mario Brothers seems to be, oh, this is going to be really pure, like those old games. And you're like, well, those old games were innovative. That's what sort of defined them. So this idea of like, well, it's the iconography and it's the feel, and that's kind of enough. And that's fine for some people. And there's lots of people I really respect who absolutely adore these games and think they're masterpieces of you know design and control, and that's absolutely fine. But I, I, I find them so flat compared to Super Mario Brothers 3 or Super Mario World or Yoshi's Island you know that that's that's actually the heritage these don't feel like the next step in that at all these they, they they're kind of i don't know they're like my least favorite bit of like of of like Mario nostalgia where just showing you stuff from old Mario is considered enough yeah. um that doesn't really do it for me well it's that harsh criteria that we um look forward to hearing on this um this <laughs> podcast <laughs> um, so after this there aren't that many wii u games left to be ported to um switch so um Catherine, i wanted to ask you like is there anything on your wish list from wii u or even like earlier nintendo formats um that you think deserves to make its way to switch in an enhanced re-release or do you think we're nearly done i think we're definitely nearly done like i, I was looking through the the games that i you know i owned on wii u because um as I say because I was sort of I was in in a position to review games at while the Wii U was like you know it was probably like the the, the worst period of of Nintendo to to actually be you know in a professional capacity to kind of review but it did mean that I did actually kind of own um, a large portion of the Wii U's library like yeah they they have already done like a lot of what I would want you know would have wanted you know they've, they've they've done you know Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze they've done Hyrule Warriors they've done Bayonetta 2 Pikmin 3 just came out you know they've even like they've even plumbed the the, the obscure depths of you know Tokyo Mirage Sessions the kind of Fire Emblem <laughs> slash um Shin Megami Tensei crossover which was very a very strange game but and yet that's that's you know that that's got a switch re-release um I think like the one that would the one that I'm I'm waiting for is Xenoblade Chronicles X I would love to see that game kind of get a another another win you know another another go on switch um Mm -hmm. I felt like it's it's it is probably my least favorite of the three Xenoblade games just because it 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 sort of didn't have that core story or set of characters that you know they that you get in one and two and that dreadful music it, yeah. when you're in the base <laughs> yeah huh yeah it, yeah it awful. had a very very strange <laughs> rap kind of soundtrack very very unlike the excellent scores of the other two games but i i, I would like to see it get an, another go um if only because i think you know the fact that xenoblade has had a bit of a renaissance on switch like it is like the missing piece of the puzzle like it's it's a really interesting game because it's sort of like it's 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 the xenoblade that you know and love in that you know you've got these big expansive worlds this mad soundtrack and yet you know like the second half of it or you know the it sort of turns into this like giant mech game which is quite Mm. unlike the the other xenoblades and i only ever really like i still haven't finished it on the wii u like i think i got about three quarters of the way through it if only because I sort of I'm mildly traumatized by having to review it for I think I reviewed it for Games Master as a freelancer and I had like four days to review it. Um, it was a really <laughs> short turnaround and I sort of broke myself trying to do it because I was sort of I was determined to like get the mech 
but you had to do this like really <laughs> obscure you know you had to sort of do basically a set of side quests and it was one of these the last one i had to do was just like this collect a lot of materials which on the map are just kind of orbs of glowing light and you don't know what it is until you until you run over it and i had to pick these you know this sort of certain thing which i just didn't know where it spawned and obviously because it was before release and you know the it, the only sort of walkthroughs were in japanese and I just couldn't work out how to do it. And I sort of like had a mild breakdown kind of <laughs> like, I need to get this copy done for Monday. And it was, you know, like at this point it was like Saturday afternoon. Um, Cause yeah, I sort of had, yeah, that was a, that was a fun weekend. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it, as I say, it was mildly I traumatic. I can't find the back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of, yeah, mild, still mildly traumatized by that experience. And I would quite like to sort of... Re- relive it on Switch. <laughs> <laughs> Not relive it, just 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 like you know, do it do it at my own pace. That would be nice. Um I feel like mechs are a bit like not they're they're not like massively mainstream, but they're maybe a bit more mainstream than they were, you know, seven years yeah. ago. Like it feels like whenever a mech anime comes up on Netflix, people go nuts for it and watch mm. it. I think people are more into mechs. Yeah, maybe that's that's my vibe. Yeah, is the kind of like um, is the reason that it was a bit more mech heavy? Maybe uh, like it wasn't Xenosaga a bit mechy? Um, maybe yeah. there's a little bit of that in there. I don't know. Yeah, the, they're part of a, it's part of a lineage of games with Xeno in the title, right? So. Yeah, it's def- definitely in their DNA for sure. Yeah, I mean even yeah. even sort of Xenoblade One, you know, it did have big robots in it. You just didn't pilot them. So yeah, this this sort of felt like you know they're yeah almost kind of going going back to their to their roots a little bit and actually giving you the robot to mess about in but it's sort of it's mm. it's mad and that it sort of turned what these you know these massive worlds were on foot like you know you you'd think that adding a giant robot into the mix would just make them feel really small but actually like it's suddenly then like you know you became just as small as you were as a tiny human on the foot like this this whole other layer of these worlds kind of like opened up when 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 you got the mech which is kind of like you know that's that's pretty impressive to to pull off i think um so mm. yeah i think that's mm. that's probably like the, the the one that's top of my list like obviously like the other big ones that they haven't done yet are the two zelda games twilight princess and wind waker hd yeah. they've i feel like those are kind of like they must be in the works somewhere particularly as there's like a big zelda birthday coming up um, yeah that feels like a dead cert doesn't it yeah um and like the question is whether they sell them together or separately and you'd hope they just sell them together for like 50 quid i think people would be fine paying that yeah um, with throwing a skyward sword remake yeah and yeah definitely like <laughs> a skyward sword remake like those those three sort of seem seem destined to be re-released on switch i think hmm. but yeah like apart from those like i think you know the the only other games that might be notable for a for a re-release or like you know you are you are kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel in that you've you've got like Paper Mario Color Splash, which is a, you know it's a it's a it's a fine Paper Mario game, but it's not like a kind of you know I wouldn't be like oh yes I'll replay it on Switch because it was so great on you know Wii U or um, I don't know sort of and you know Star Fox Zero which uh. is just was just awful <laughs> and I don't I don't think deserves another outing. Um, and yeah, like and not even if they revamped the controls for Star Fox Zero, would that make it any better? Do you oh, think? I don't know. I think it just feels so. It feels so old. We were looking at it last night, weren't <laughs> yeah. we? And it's just, it's so. Um, I don't know if that just idea was fully delivered back when they did it, and it just doesn't have a place. I don't know. It just, mm. it, it's just so so flat. Yeah, that's a weird series. They just haven't never quite figured out what to do with after um, the N sixty four era. No, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. I am. Um, I, I sort of like. Uh, 
one experience I, re- I reflect on fondly is the ghost hunting mini game in Nintendo Land. Um, oh yeah, that would be quite that'd be quite a fun one to play on uh, on Switch if they could salvage something from Nintendo Land, which is basically just like another version of Mario Party. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, um, I was I was I was sort yeah. of thinking like you know yeah N- Nintendo Land would be would be a good thing, but it's sort of so uniquely tied to the gamepad. Um, mm. I, I I wonder sort of how it would work on. You know, when you don't have that second screen, it's 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 things like that that you feel like, oh, you know, if only we could play that again. But then you realise that actually, like, like, yeah, it's got some actually kind of crucial Wii U gamepad mechanic <laughs> that would yeah. like wouldn't really work. Um, the question you end up asking yourself is, if only Nintendo hadn't made the Wii U. Um, <laughs> or yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, I, I um. Yeah, there's um there aren't many examples of games that are like you know na- have that kind of those native elements, but there's um clearly they found a way to make most of them work on Switch, and uh, yeah, yeah, I think it is it is cool that they've managed to mobilize and and get most of those games across so people can actually enjoy them for the first time. Yeah, um, mm. I never thought they'd do Tokyo Mirage Sessions. No, that I think was... they made a massive mistake <laughs> with that one by not putting Fire Emblem or Shin Megami Tensei in the title. Well, they sort so... of did in that they, they it, the, the full name of the game, which is it's it's mad, but it's like it's Tokyo Mirage Sessions sharp, as in the musical. You know the music notation uh, sharp, not not sake. a hashtag, uh, fe, which <laughs> you know it's so like that. That is the Fire Emblem nod, but it's so I kind of abbreviates Fire Emblem to fe. Well, exactly, exactly. It's... <laughs> oh god, I love me some fe. Uh, what Fire Emblem? All oh, right, no, okay. Yeah, uh, Matthew, what about you when it comes to Wii U? Do you feel like we're about there? Are the Zelda ports basically? Um... Yeah, I, th- I think the Zelda ports are, are like the, the the big leftovers. Yeah, it's. I mean, uh, th- th- there's nothing that sort of jumps out from my time. I and mean, they really have brought so much of it across. I mean, it's if if you're a kind of um, completionist, completist uh, Nintendo collector, this generation has been a nightmare because you basically had to buy the last generation <laughs> again, um, which 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 kind of sucked. Um, but uh, yeah, like. I'm very much on the Zelda front. I mean that the Wind Waker port on, uh, or the Wind Waker remake even on Wii, on Wii U was absolutely beautiful. Again, we booted that up last night as well, and oh, it's so just nice. it looks lovely. If they could get that at like you know sixty frames, um, <laughs> that would that would be nice. It just fits the style of it, you know. It would. Uh, yeah, it's such a beautifully animated game. The way the water moves and everything. I think that would really that would actually become extra special. Mm. Um, I'd rather the Wind Waker port than the, the Twilight Princess HD was pretty basic. I thought yeah. as an actual port and kind of uh, I don't know. I didn't I didn't get as much out of it a second time as I did the first time. I so. don't think it was made by Nintendo that Twilight Princess port either, right? I think like an Australian developer might have ported it. It certainly oh, is it, it certainly doesn't. Did they get Grezzo to do it? Because they they did the Ocarina of Time 3D. I can't remember whether it was Grezzo had anything to do with it. Perhaps I'm just um, spilling misinformation here. But, um, <laughs> no, I, I, I looked at it and thought you don't have the immediately so, uh, like both versions of Wind Waker look amazing for slightly different reasons with the color palette mm. and stuff. But um, mm. you definitely get the feeling that that um, that remake was quite deluxe, and um, the fact that it has the small gameplay tweak of oh you can um, sell your boat. Uh, quicker across the, uh, the across the world by um, adjusting the. Uh, I think you, don't you change the sail on the boat or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a cool touch. So yeah, yeah. I guess uh, they're almost there. But um, yeah. yes, I want to say just um, close this section by praising you for even plugging the Wii U in, um, <laughs> which is an ordeal in twenty twenty one. Yeah, it's um, surprising. You've, especially now that you know everything. Certainly, all of our controllers have run out of battery. 
So you've not only got to find a plug for the Wii U when when you've got other when you when you've now got other consoles plugged into your TV is is difficult. Um, but yeah, you've got also got to find an actual wall plug to plug in the gamepad and charge that up. Which you know, two oh. plugs. How many consoles these days require two plugs? It's madness. Or ever. <laughs> is this the only one? Probably. But. <laughs> it's, yeah. nice. it's also quite sad because, you know, the whole console was designed around that, like, interesting online space of, like, Me Plaza and the Miiverse, and now all that's, like, dead and defunct, <laughs> yeah. and it's just, it's just a bit, like... I don't know. It's actually quite going play, loading it up now is actually quite kind of covid relevant it feels like. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like walking through Bath Town Centre. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um or the, you know going, oh that's where the old Vodafone shop used to be. <laughs> <laughs> I've um I, I I must admit like um on my floor right now there is a hard drive, um the controller and the console and loads of plugs. Um an attempt was made um early this week to <laughs> plug it in and i just thought oh I, I i think i remember this game enough like i would rather bluff it on this podcast than um plug all of these things in because with the hard drive <laughs> nintendo recommended you got a separate hard drive yeah. external hard drive right and the, the one that has its own power supply yep. so yeah. plugging the That's plugging in the controller plug. <laughs> exactly controller console and hard drive that's madness yeah. three plug sockets um, yeah I'd, I'd, you can see why i did I'd, 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 I'd forgotten about the about the hard drive plug as well yeah we had to find another a third plug for that too because yeah i think like i can't even remember how much storage the wii u's got probably like 32 gigs or something yeah but yeah like the vast majority of there my was, games yeah there was like, like a 16 and a 32 yeah. and 32 was the deluxe <laughs> um <laughs> you're like ooh la la 32 <laughs> you're <are> spoiling us <laughs> I haven't played the Wii U in a long time and booting it up was like a huge memory trip for me back to like O&M. Like the thing that triggered me was actually the loading times between like the options menu. Oh, yeah. I remember thinking, God, there was like a console where like it legit took like 15 seconds to transition between certain modes of like the home interface. <laughs> it's, I mean, that was just so painful. There was so much stuff we had to like ignore to praise that machine <laughs> yeah i am um, i sort of like i didn't i don't think i really regret buying one in retrospect but um and it's certainly a fun little um well i mean you can play wii games um output in hd which is um is something mm. at least mm. but uh yeah i can't say i don't know i've got like three hdmi ports on my tv and if there's like a football style league table of um who's gonna get <laughs> one of those ports the wii u is at the bottom yeah <laughs> Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. Uh, we'll take a brief break there then, but we're going to come back and um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, writing about Mario and the challenges of doing so. Matthew, to kick off, why don't you talk to us about what it was like to write about Mario? Like, how do you make writing about Mario interesting? So I think there's kind of there's like two tiers to this um i'd say like the very broad top level of just like writing you know say you're writing one piece about mario that is very difficult in itself i think mario is actually a ve- is the hardest thing to write about from my from my career anyway i i always i always found it very difficult um because uh, so much of its like joy and pleasure is simply in the doing in the playing and it's sort of apparent simplicity it's it's not really a game that like kind of reflects on much or kind of says anything in particular 
it's very like it's like the purest like mechanical joy of playing these you know you get from playing these games and as a result like i don't feel like a lot of tricks you can lean on kind of like emotional reactions or how it maybe like reflects you sort of reflect on yourself in a game kind of lot of stuff that i think a lot of people lean on particularly in modern writing it's quite hard to apply to mario you know, it's quite, you know, you don't get a lot of like very big, oh, it meant this or it did that or it reflected this period of my life because it's so abstract. You know, it's like a dude who collects coins and like sometimes dresses up as a cat. You know, <laughs> it like doesn't, uh, it doesn't say a huge amount. And I think that's, I think that's, that's like, that's like a basic challenge of writing about Mario is, is kind of getting around that and, and, and having to engage with something which is quite like mechanically pure. Mm. Um, uh, you know, mechanics writing can get quite boring or can be quite boring. So trying to kind of breathe life into that. Yeah. But uh, uh, I think what like elevates it, uh, the, 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 the next level of challenge is just like, and, and this, is, this is probably very specific to like Nintendo magazines, but I'm sure there are equivalents for other people, is, you know, he is so the main event. He is so important and has to be treated as something that is so important and he's the kind of bedrock of everything you're doing, you know. And as a result, like, trying to find a way of writing about him, and this may sound, like, silly and overblown, but trying to find a way to write about him that kind of respects that and respects him and captures the excitement and the size of it, it's not just enough to just write a simple preview, review, or whatever. I feel like everything you write about mario like has to be as good as mario it has to make you feel special you don't want to seem crap compared to mario um and that was like so much of my time on ungamer was like thinking about that does that sound mad no i don't think so uh, to be um to raise something that um i kind of noticed in the previous section of this podcast is that I didn't say much about Super Mario 3D World because I don't entirely know how to articulate why that game is good beyond saying that the level design is cool <laughs> or that the music is nice or the power-ups are interesting. Yeah, so it's actually quite tough. Like, um, even when you're talking about Breath of the Wild, it's a bit easier to articulate how the systems interact with each other. But you'd sort of like, I don't know, you, you, to describe a section from a game in Mario, you couldn't quite do it and relay the experiential joy of it in a, Not, in a yeah. straightforward way, you know? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, you know, that, that, you know, so this trend of like very first person accounts of writing, you know, that's, that's what I'm talking about, about people like writing through the, the prism of themselves, I guess, you know, that kind of, um, that kind of cliche of like, oh, I'm doing this sort of, you know, the, the, the first person lived in account of playing a Mario game is like absolutely baffling. <laughs> you know, it's like, I jumped over a hole. I ran forward a meter. I jumped over another hole. I ran forward a meter. I got a coin. (laughs) And you're like, yep, (laughs) that's Mario. Um, But it's not the same thing. Like, it doesn't feel like a game where you make a lot of choices. You know, it's it's a challenge game. And writing about challenge games in general is is difficult. I mean, you know, I I, I kind of, um, you know, I I, I look back with, with, you know, uh, great respect for the magazines I was reading when I was growing up where games were a bit purer and more arcadey, I think they are harder to write about. 
and the ability to capture that. And people may laugh and joke about the kind of the cliches of breaking things down into like graphics, sound, playability, da da da. But like they didn't necessarily have the overarching ideas to kind of hold them together or elevate them into something else, which you could then kind of try and kind of capture. So, you know, I kind of really sympathise with them. Like, I think writing about Nintendo games is like writing about quite old game design in a way. I've like personally for like the individual pieces, like when I like when I'm reviewing a Mario game or whatever, I'm I'm just trying like I find and this I hope this none of this sounds too pretentious or wanky. Um, like I'm just trying to capture like the energy of the thing. I find these games have incredible momentum. They make me incredibly excited, and that excitement builds. And I'm trying, you know, I try to I'm trying to get like the rhythm of that a bit in the review. I want you to get to the end and feel like this is yes, 100%. I want you know, I know I'm going to have fun with this. This was fun. This was fun to read. This like it builds in the right way. Like. I really want everything in the world to be like a Mario level. I want it to build in that way and end in a spectacular fashion. <laughs> so, including my writing. <laughs> um, Catherine, you've um, obviously you noted earlier that you reviewed Super Mario 3D World. Yeah. And what did you find the challenges of writing about Mario to be? Yeah, I think it's it's a similar sort of thing. You're trying to convey, like, you know, the thing about Mario is that, tr- it, as, you, as, you, as you sort of described earlier like trying to relay like a set of levels or communicate it's the the the, the pace of ideas is so sort of rapid fire that like trying to describe those is is really difficult and i think like the the joy of mario is yeah it's, it, it's that kind of you're trying to convey like a, a sense of movement and what that feels like it's a you know a feeling of movement i think like the hardest one that i've had to review or you know write about is is super mario maker which is just like uh you know basically one giant level editing tool and you know i'm i'm really bad at making and designing game levels uh it turns out surprise surprise um you know i i just don't have like the drive or the inclination to kind of spend that time i sort of had to i think you know especially with with things like that where it's it's so community driven you're just kind of left relying on the you know super super mario maker did come with like a bunch of pre-made levels um and but you know you you were sort of then left just sort of playing other journalists kind of quite quite bad kind of attempts at kind of a mario level um ouch want to name any names (laughs) i can't i can't like my memory of that game is so is so sort of like spotty um i I wouldn't be able to pick out any in particular but like um that you know as you say in, with particularly with 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 that game you are talking about like you know the fundamental building blocks of a mario game and i think probably like it's a similar challenge to talking about like a a, a normal mario game in that yeah it's like what what kind of weird alchemy of you know what is it that makes these these individual components a wonderful thing to play and you know where where does that magic come from from these you know bits of cloud and poles and um you know falling blocks it's a yeah i i I definitely don't envy you know the writers who do have to write about this a a lot more a lot more frequently than i do Mm. so when it comes to the kind of hype side of mario uh, matthew when you were covering them on um, nintendo magazines like um 
to what extent do you kind of feel that when you're writing about it? Like, um, how much does that kind of um, come through in the writing in terms of how much you psych yourself out when you're when you're writing about these? Because, like, um, when we talked about the game review scores we got wrong um, episode and also the game reviews episode, it sounded like you took the process of covering the big Mario games a bit too seriously. Um, is that the case? Yeah, I mean, the, the reviews the reviews were almost like a different a sort of different things un- unto themselves because they were you know they were like the end of the of the process which was you know on end gamer which was you know we would have been covering Mario Galaxy you know every month maybe every other month you know for a year or whatever and then the review felt like well this is it this is the big goodbye so that it felt like all eyes were on that that that's where the pressure of the review i actually much preferred the the kind of the, the preview feature cycle I think that's where we did some of our best work and we really like differentiated ourselves from other Nintendo magazines or basically any any other Nintendo public any other Nintendo coverage out there. Um you know we we just went nuts on on these games. Like we we went so in depth on them and we had such limited access. I remember the the first big thing we I, I wrote about Mario Galaxy. I hadn't played it. Uh, you know we 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 didn't get to go to E3. Uh, on Endgamer uh, ever, I don't think. Um, so we had to always cover it from afar, and w- we took that as a kind of challenge of like, well, we we you know, not only did we not get to see this, we still want to have the best coverage of of Mario, and and some people may say, well, that's going to obviously ring false. You know, you're never going to be able to capture it in the way that someone who's actually played it. But I felt like you know, we basically took everything we took everything anyone had said or seen about that game you know we went over every frame of video of mario galaxy that was online and we just we just pieced it together and said basically we're going to rebuild the mario galaxy e3 demo like in the magazine without having played it we glossed over that bit (laughs) Um, but you know we were like piecing it together i mean i remember literally getting our art editors you know we spent a whole month like drawing out the levels from the demos using tens of different videos where people went different routes to to, to work out how the level worked, how it was actually designed. Mm. And that was agony because slightly like YouTube was around, but it wasn't as prominent. This was like, you know, having to use a lot of people's kind of filmed off a television with a camcorder on like IGN or game trailers or whatever. Um, and then trying to kind of piece together this level. And I remember like a few months later, we went to uh, Nintendo UK um, to play all the E3 demos, like after the fact. And it was like a real, did we get it right moment? And I remember us playing these demos and being like, oh no, like we missed like an entire island out of the honey galaxy (laughs) Uh, because we hadn't got it right. But at the same time, like when they gave us access to that demo, um, like I remember, like a lot of this came from Mark Green, who was the editor of Endgamer when it relaunched and when I joined, and I, he instilled a lot of this in in me that like he was just like like just a crazed fanboy and just wanted to to, to just you know blow this stuff kind of wide open and I that I, that was really like infectious I really loved it I, you know I really loved that that kind of period and I remember going to Windsor sitting in their little review room with this demo and it was like 
right, we are going to break this demo. We are going to we are going to go to places no one has been. And in that in the 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 honey hive galaxy, which was one of the E3 levels, which we first become B Mario Mario Galaxy. I remember that it was like star one of um of that level so it was a very particular route but if you did some quite creative wall jumping you could get up to the bits of the level for the later stars but they weren't like finished it was all sort of broken up there and like always oh, weird like fucked up textures <laughs> all this kind of stuff like, i remember this nintendo pr being in the room with us watching us try and like break this demo and thinking like uh-oh is this right i mean i mean they're technically playing the demos so i guess they're not breaking the rules but we were like oh yeah quickly let's go let's try and get under the level and see what's under there and um it was just so like that giddiness was just what i wanted like all of our coverage to be and i really like took that forward you know with me even like right up until now like when i cover not mario games like i'm trying to find at preview events like trying to find the thing no one else has found or do the weird thing that no one else has done just to try and like get something fresh something new because you have to have something new you know otherwise we all write about the same thing but mm. yeah i don't that probably doesn't answer the question no no <laughs> i think i think that's interesting because um it's basically how people enjoy games now like um when you look at subreddits for games and um you know you look at the hype cycle of a game like cyberpunk every single detail seemed to matter to people um mm. to the point where it truly was boring to read about you know <laughs> Um, yeah. this, this car is in the game and this music is in the game mm. or whatever but um, with something like Mario I mean if you're a Nintendo specialist magazine like um, you want to be number one for Mario right and like you say you've got to show people something they've not seen before so I really like yeah. the idea of like the logistical challenge of making someone draw uh, a level <laughs> of a game you've not even played like, <laughs> <laughs> that's like madness but like I really admire the you know the hustle um, yeah the the other thing the other thing that I, always jumps out at me from that period probably the happiest memory of my entire gaming career um, was we decided to, <laughs> to make a model like a physical model of the first um, the first planet in that you land on in Mario Galaxy um, <laughs> as in papier mache a giant balloon I mean <laughs> as in this balloon was like a meter, like a meter and a half across. It was huge. Like Greener bought this industrial balloon. It was so big, everyone was scared to blow it up because, we, like, I, and I remember Greener going into. We did it after work so we wouldn't be like disruptive. I remember Greener going into this little um, side office in, in on the future floor. It was like a a meeting room that you had like you know little secretive meetings in. And, um, like, <laughs> blowing up this balloon and then halfway through getting really scared of blowing it up because he was like, if this bursts, I think it might actually blind me. <laughs> um, and he was hiding under his coat with this, like, industrial balloon pump blowing up this balloon. I remember looking through the little glass, like, porthole in the window and just laughing my ass off at this image of my boss hiding under a coat being scared of this balloon. And then we covered it with papier-mâché. And I remember the next day, like, the building manager was walking around the floor and she was just like, what is that? Because <laughs> it was just this giant orb of, like, papery gloop at this point because we hadn't painted it and decorated it. And it just 
she just wanted to bin it she didn't think we should have made it at all um and we had to like protect this giant crap orb and the funny like it ended up looking terrible like it was so bad like we stuck like we couldn't paint it properly so we stuck like green tissue paper all over it remember green bought these gold chocolate coins um to stick all over it and then he ate them all before we stuck them on there so we only had like the mangled wrappers <laughs> So like just like it was so I mean, like so much of what we did on Engamer was like an amazing idea if it if it had been done properly, but what we actually made took loads of work and was still totally shit. <laughs> um, and we, once we had it, like the feature, all the annotations were just us pointing out like why it was as bad as it was. <laughs> so it's like oh sorry about this. Like you know one of us stood on the props. You know <laughs> one of us um, ate the chocolates. Uh, yeah. the coins. So it's just like a really apologetic, sad thing. But like that to me is like that's that's what Mario makes you want to do is like something terrible like that. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so uh, Matthew, one th- one thing you've got in your notes here is about um, you were going to ask us something about um, Mario, our versions of Mario. Yeah, I, I was, I was just curious, you know, like if if you had that equivalent, you know, is is there a Mario of the things you've worked on, like PlayStation? What is the Mario of PlayStation and PC? Like internally, what meant the most to you, and and like if you know if that changed how you approached it? How about you, Catherine? Do you want to kick off first? Oh, I mean. In ter- like, Are you going to say Nvidia graphics cards? Well, yeah, I was probably like in terms of hardware. Like, I think I think it's 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 got to be an Nvidia graphics card launch because you know most people have an Nvidia graphics card, and that's that's the thing that people care about most. Like, you know, if if suddenly if AMD, you know, if if everyone had an AMD graphics card, it would probably be an AMD graphics card. But I think because the majority of people right now have Nvidia cards, yeah, it, it would definitely be from a hardware perspective, um, yeah. And 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 an Nvidia launch, but I think like in terms of PC, like I don't know, I was sort of like Half Life, I guess is is certainly one of the big ones. Like it, it's it's difficult for me to kind of like in terms of games, just because I've never, you know, I've always kind of been on the periphery of of the games world. Like you know, in in tech, um, you know, even when you're on a generalist um, consumer tech magazine, you know, it's it's we we never kind of went uh you know quite as in-depth on probably anything like we we you know e- even when there was like a big apple launch or a big samsung launch you know we we never kind of like um did anything particularly special in the magazine for it you know there, there, there would be the preview or the review of that phone but it wasn't kind of treated in a way that was you know any different from uh, you know any, any other product that we looked at it was it was it was probably you know like compared to games magazines like tech tech mags are are quite dry and you know not very fun um so you didn't try to make your own iphone no we didn't know <laughs> out of papier mache no, alas um yeah i think like probably the 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 one one of the one of the most kind of fun th- it wasn't even a thing that we that ended up in the magazine but i remember we sort of did a group test of like mini pcs at one point and i sort of like you know i put them all in a tower um but you know to kind of like here's all this like stack of mini P- you know, 10 pcs that are as high as you know like a 30 centimeter ruler or something um mm. which you know but again that that wasn't that wasn't in the magazine that was just kind of like something that you know having got all of these things uh, for this feature you know i just sort of did that kind of as a as a fun photo thing but yeah i, I really liked it last year when you tried to do the 
like make the Xbox yeah. Series X as a PC yeah. in a in a similarly small box. I thought that was yeah, fun. I think that that's that's probably. Um, I think like if 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 I'd done that for a you know print magazine, it's sort of it's a fun it's a, it was it was a really fun thing to do online for for RPS. Um, yeah, kind of like I found a similar kind of rectangular uh, PC case um, that looked as much like an Xbox as I think probably any PC case is going to look like an Xbox Series X and yeah kind of like put together this set of components which I originally like I was going to try and match the price of the Xbox but that was that was quickly <laughs> quickly found that's being possible because you know the, the 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 cost of the case alone was basically like half half the price of the xbox um <laughs> just fill it with potatoes <laughs> yeah um but yeah like something like that would have like yeah of all of all the things i've done that would like if if i had done that for print yeah we could have had i think we probably could have had some real fun with that you know kind of like breaking breaking it down and you know doing a more in-depth like this is how you build it or, you know and things like that but yeah, alas, I've never, never been on a magazine where we've had to, you know, had the scope to do that sort of thing. It's either been very dry reviews or, uh, you know, an in-depth interview with someone's marketing manager about, you know, this weird film series that they're making to accompany this latest game or something mad. Um, you should make a papier-mâché model of the marketing yeah. manager and show it to him and see what he makes of it. <laughs> yeah. so, a bald man. That's a feature, I Yeah. No, I guess it is very specific to working on mags where you're like desperate, hungry for information mm. on games. Um, mm. And obviously, Nintendo is the uh, Nintendo mags offered the most challenge in that regard because there were fewer third, big third party games to cover. So you were making yeah. the most out of those first party games. Yeah, it's, I think I'm probably selling it as innovation when actually it's necessity. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's certainly made for um, a good story there um, about a, a disgusting creation that um, <laughs> wasn't impressive, but made for a fun feature. Um, for me, I like, do you know, just talking about that really just brought back a memory of GTA Five when it got announced, um, or about a year after it got announced, they did the first like Game Informer cover from it. And that was the only information on GTA for months and months afterwards. So we basically had to do second-hand coverage from Game Informer's piece, um, you know, to kind of talk about the game to our readers. And that really, like, I was, like, quite angry at the time, just thinking what I kind of made of it was um, I did, like, a 100 things to know about GTA Five, and just pulled out every single detail of, like, you know, his, his like, uh, Michael can go into slow-mo like Max Payne when you do this, this, and this. And, like, um, we did, like, um, a map of, like, Los Santos with, um, loca- like matching them to a kind of like google maps um oh. sort of overview of los angeles saying oh well this building's mm. here and this building's here so here's how much of the city they might be covering um and that's a kind of example of like how can you make good content out of something that we don't know much about mm. um god i looked at that game informer piece so much there were just some <laughs> i think there were just some jpegs that had been fucking ripped from to like imgur or something and then like i think i did actually buy the magazine just to like have it uh, just kind of my peace of mind if nothing else mm. but yeah that was uh, i was always like so jealous so jealous of game informer like the the, the you know I, I mean those guys work super hard i'm not saying they didn't but mm. like you know the, the the kind of the lengths we were going to to stretch what kind of like sort of meager you know crusts we were thrown into a magazine and you'd get that and like they were just given the works in a way that no one ever got. I remember every one of those issues being like, oh, God, what I would give, what I would give to have, like, a 20-page 
you know, dishonoured feature or whatever. <laughs> yeah, they always had like lovely cover art, and um, oh. it was like it was definitely like throughout the sort of first period of me working on mags, like um, from the late noughties through to like the middle part of the last decade. It was kind of like the Game Informer were always first of those big games, and it was like. Um, you'd keep an eye on the calendar for what the next month would be because you know they'd have mm. like Bioshock 2 first information or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, so like, uh, you know, I think I remember they did some amazing Bioshock Infinite covers as well that like designed in the style of the um, of Columbia, the world, and like had like I think authentic adverts in them and stuff mm. um, without the <laughs> without the racist bits that are in <laughs> Bioshock Infinite, um, in, the nice. in world racist bits. <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, yeah, but GTA Five is definitely one. Um, yeah, and um, I don't know, Metal Gear Solid Four was another, like I say, but like um, that, I don't recall being interesting or there being anything interesting to pick out. But there was another one where like I'd see other mags get better access and be like, oh fuck's sake. Um, but, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I've I've never worked on anything where I've had to cover Rockstar like open worlds. Like I've never done the. The, the mag or online cycle for a Red Dead or a GTA. Hmm. Um, but I imagine, you know, they are like the biggest games in the world, aren't they, really? Well, when they show you the games, it's really exciting. Um, like, there was a bit of a wait, I think, until we saw GTA Five. But I remember, like, seeing it at Rockstar's office for the first time and um, they showed the different character swapping and that just seemed amazing. You know, you just go to yeah. a different part of the city and Trevor's, like, on an island with all these dead guys. And then, like... <laughs> I think they ended the demo with jumping out of uh, like a plane for the first time and seeing the whole city from above, and it was like, ah, oh, holy shit, that is incredible! Mm. And like, I just remember, they, I remember buzzing from those demos, you know. And they said, one day, Sam, you will grind for fifteen weeks so you can buy a submarine. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, see, my dirty secret, Matthew, is I spent ten pounds on a microtransaction, so I didn't have to. Um, and that's how they get you. Um, yeah, that's my relationship with GTA has drastically changed from like wonderment to uh, why can't I afford a fucking booster for my flying car? You know, um, yeah. Um, so, Catherine, to wrap up the podcast, we also have one uh, listener question I'll read out uh, shortly. But I wanted to um, kind of start a new format where we ask uh, our guests who will come on to talk a bit about um, some of their favorite games of the last generation, and that's because. We did our best games of the generation podcast. It's actually two our two most popular podcasts um, to date, which is cool. Um, but we just want to kind of get a flavour of the um, the guest tastes and uh, what they've been enjoying in like the last few years. So, um, why don't you talk us through a few of your um, favourite games of the last gen? Yeah, I think probably the, the the game that's at the top of my list is Dishonored Two. I think um, mm-hmm. that's probably one of the you know I was. I, I, at the time, I was one of those fortunate people that didn't have all the problems. I, I, um, so I, I played it on PC and, and somehow, miraculously, didn't encounter like any of the crashes that I think seemed to kind of you know plague literally everyone else that played it at, at launch. Um, so for me, it was it was brilliant. Like I really enjoyed it. I had a really good time, and and that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's 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 particularly um, like I. I I look back on that game particularly fondly in mostly because I think when I played Dishonored 1 I didn't really understand how the chaos system worked and I thought that like you know if I pull it you know if I if I'm really good and don't kill anyone like you know in the second half of the game maybe I can pull it back and you know I think because my my my, oh, my chaos right. rating was was inching higher and higher and higher and 
that's not how Dishonored works, unfortunately. Um, once you once you've hit a certain chaos level, you're stuck there. Um, so I was determined for Dishonored two to play the game in basically like low chaos. And I, for whatever reason, I got it into my head that not only was I going to not kill anyone, I was also going to do it completely unseen. I was going to do a ghost run on my first go. I don't know why I thought this, but I thought this is this is a weird challenge. I'm going to set myself. Um, good way to play and it mm. was really good like I, it took me i remember it sort of particularly like the the jindosh mansion which is probably one of the best sections of a game of all time probably like that's such a an amazing uh section of of you know of that game and just you know as i say i think it's probably one of my favorite levels of so yeah certainly the generation if not you know of all games it's 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 such a good little space and it probably because i'd imposed these weird restrictions on myself it probably took me about five or six hours to complete that level um i spent <laughs> i spent right. an inordinate amount of time in there um because i kept getting spotted by the guards which meant sort of you know quit loading um every every other every other second um but it was such a good experience and i i, I sort of i look back on it fondly for for you know not only for that but you know it is just a great game in in and of itself i think good choice i think like also like outer wilds as well which i think you know um certainly have very hard high now, on now people list. can understand why we're married <laughs> outer wilds it all was, makes uh, sense now yeah it was yeah, <laughs> that was great um i really loved the the you know the sense of mystery in that game and you know i think that the looping time mechanic worked really well um and just like you know, the, the the sense of like wonder and awe that you you had at, at this universe and this, you know, even even mm. though it was like relatively self-contained, you know, it's 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 far smaller than in most of the open worlds that you you know you could encounter in like you know an Assassin's Creed or a, any sort of Ubisoft game or GTA or anything. But there was there was something that still felt like massive about it. Um, mm. It's an entire solar yeah, system. Yeah, it's an entire solar system, and it, the, the way it's sort of like you know the, the the planets linked back to each other and um, was you know I just loved that sense of like you know that the, there was a breadcrumb trail to follow, and but you know but you you could do it at any. It sort of it reminded me a lot of Oberdin in that you know you sort of you had these fragments of of information that you were working with. You you were left to kind of your own devices to kind of work out how they all fit together. Um, mm. And yeah, I mean, yeah. Speaking of Return of the Oberdin, that's 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 certainly like another another top one for that. Um, I re- well, you'd have been disqualified from our list, Catherine, because that came out on PC oh, first. Oh, okay, so fair enough. You can you can <laughs> never come back on the oh, podcast. No. Now. That's it. You're uh, banned. Busted. Yeah. Um. <laughs> How dare you violate the criteria like that? <laughs> I apologise. Um, um, no, I'm sure we'll talk about that game a lot in depth at some point. But um, yeah, briefly, what's the what what was it that kind of really um, spoke to you? Um, I think like I'd 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 seen Matthew play it first. I I played it. Um, I sort of tried to kind of like you know not look at what Matthew was doing, um, because I mean that's just a general rule for living with me. <laughs> um, oh, he's eating again. Yeah, um, you know because because so, so much of that game is like about the mystery of it and work. You know, once you've worked out the answer, like you know, it's kind of hard to kind of forget forget how, how you know how these pieces all fit together so i was sort of i was i was aware of you know 
kind of what what the game was, what he was doing in it, but kind of tried to kind of distance myself from the specifics. But I just sort of remember these like, you know, these mad theories that people were coming up with, you know, it's like, I identified this batch of people with like, by just looking at their socks and their shoes. And I, I there's, there's sort of something quite magical about the games that um, generate those sorts of stories, uh, you know, that, that people come to mm. these different conclusions or they work out the same people via different methods and that's you know that's that's something like really cool and and neat to kind of like just both experience for yourself you know like to to see how your method of working it out you know differ to other people um but it's just like you know it's a really fun mystery and it it looks amazing and i love the way that it's sort of structured you know it sort of teases the story in very kind of tiny chunks that you know it's sort of like you're gradually kind of peeling back these layers of what happened on this ship um you know by by kind of this paper trail of different people's perspectives and then you know just just sort of from a structured point of view you know that's that's a super interesting trying to you know mm. uh and yeah it was just if only it wasn't if only, yes <laughs> Um, what else is um, what else has made your list, Catherine? Uh, I really, really liked Hyrule Warriors on the Wii U. Um, wow, <laughs> I would never have guessed. No, like I've never played like a Warriors game That's in bold. my life. Um, but there was, it's probably like it's a similar thing, the similar kind of like magic to like Super Smash Brothers in that like you just got this like kind of melting pot of Zelda characters all together. Um, I just really like seeing, you know, the the way that those games function is that it's all about just like mowing down hordes of enemies on screen with like these outlandish kind of, you know, over the top attacks. And, you know, it's just something you don't get to see in a Zelda game. And I think that it, it actually, you know, it's, it's a nice kind of, uh, alternative or i don't really know what the right word is it's sort of like an it's 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 just refreshing to sort of see zelda zelda games kind of with that kind of combat in them yeah, um, yeah. it's it's almost like it's the, it's like the epic big that is usually consigned to a cutscene at the yeah. start of like there was a huge war yeah. and you're like oh. yeah <laughs> yeah also i think like seeing um certain zelda iconography in 3d for the first time yeah. like um I remember seeing the windfish in that game, and it's it's not particularly well done. But like, um, <laughs> it's still just seeing the seeing it at all in three D just seemed mind blowing before they made the um, yeah. the remake of uh, Link's Awakening on Switch. So yeah, yeah, it, from from a kind of fan iconography perspective, it's definitely got some value. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I I like this game so much that I also then played it again on the three DS when they did the three DS <laughs> version. Um, I haven't, I haven't bought the Switch version, but you know, I was, I was tempted. It's a matter of time. <laughs> well, if only so that I don't have to plug in, you know, the three million plugs to play it on the Wii U anymore. You know, I could just. Well, look, that's defensible. <laughs> that, as we've established, it's easier to pay someone uh, to get someone in a warehouse to send it to your house than for you to like plug in three yep. different electronic items yep. so yeah fair play um what's um do you have like one last one as well Kath? um i think i'm probably going to go with final fantasy 7 remake i think mm. um just off the top of my head i i don't actually like i'm not one of these people who is like a diehard final fantasy 7 fan like i i sort of i don't really have a particularly fond relationship with it um 
Like, I don't look back on it and feel like, oh, yes, Seven's the best. Like, I'm, I'm much more, you know, I'm much more in love with, like, 8 and 9 um, and, and 10. Like, I don't really sort of have particularly kind of, like, a great affinity with 7, if only because I think at the time, I played it very, like, you know, the original and the PlayStation 1, like, very much after the fact, because I didn't get a PlayStation 1 until, I think, after the PlayStation 2 had come out. Um you know, I, th- I remember sort of buying seven, eight and nine all together because I think, you know, my friend, a friend of mine was like really into them and thought like, you, you must play these games now that you've got a PlayStation. Um, and so I played eight first, which I think is why I like that one so much. And then sort of played, I went, went back to seven, played the bit where you kind of leave Midgar and get to like the Chocobo farm. And there was this mm. big, like, like big worm boss like in the kind of marshland like next to it which i just the Zolom. yeah which i just yeah. couldn't i just died a lot on and for whatever reason i kind of stopped playing there um and i didn't come back to it for like a year and then you know as as is often the case with these big games i couldn't remember for the life of me what had really happened i sort of you know had kind of completely forgotten what happened at the start of final fantasy 7 um and you know i I still i I then you know went on to complete it and i i enjoyed it but i sort of i think because there was that gap in between me starting it and finishing it as i say i I don't kind of i don't have a great nostalgia for it but i really enjoyed like what they you know when when seven remake came out you know i'm sort of i was intrigued to see a what they do with it um you know how how it would translate into 3d um, what they would do with the combat system i think i actually really like the combat system in seven remake i think it's a really good blend of the kind of the the, the turn-based original kind of uh mechanics that were in the original and mm. you know the kind of more action uh led stuff you know that you get in 15 and, and the later games that you know that in itself is really satisfying like the the the, the music is is amazing um i really loved how you know they've they've retooled that music for you know with an orchestra and 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 re rearranged it um i'm actually quite excited to like by what they're actually doing with the story like i sort of again i sort of didn't play it immediately when it came out i sort of played it pretty soon but sort of you know certainly after the reviews and stuff had come out and i was sort of trying to avoid you know any sort of spoilers about i sort of had heard you know rumblings about like you know what people thought you know the ending did something weird um and it sure did <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> but like i'm quite interested that it's um you know i mean i'm certainly interested to see what they're going to do with it like i think i'm i'm quite mm. i'm i'm more interested in it now that i know it's not like a straightforward remake i don't i obviously don't want to spoil it um, for people who haven't played it, but yeah, it's 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 definitely not just like going to be a straightforward rehash of that game, and I think that's actually more interesting. And I sort of liked it almost like you know, there there are sections in that game that are you know very tedious. Like, you know, I think you've spoken before, Samuel, about how like you know there are entire chapters where you're you know finding children in a slum somewhere that's just like oh this is just the worst. Um, oh, I mean, Matthew articulated it best. Okay, where yeah. Lots of um, sliding through gaps yes. to retrieve urchins. Yes, <laughs> yeah. that is all I saw of that game. Yeah. It's um, <laughs> like, as I say, it's it's definitely like far from perfect, and I would much rather that those entire side quest chapters just be like, you know, 
exercise from that game because um, they just they just they do, you don't need them um it's sort of extra padding that that game never needed as i say sort of i i, I would be less excited about it if it was just going to be a straightforward remake but i think because of what yeah. they are doing with it like you know i i know plenty of people who are like just like you know aghast that they're tampering with the formula of you know that they're, they're not doing the straightforward rehash that they maybe mm. arguably want but i think it's definitely a more interesting game for it and you're like you're like oh bullshit interesting <laughs> i mean you know there's 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 every possibility that it will turn into like a kingdom hearts sized mess of a you know lore dump and it'll probably end up being Definitely. horrendous but um you know i got to hope yeah you? exactly we shall see well hopefully we'll still be doing the podcast when episode 2 or whatever <laughs> comes out and then we can I you can, can deep dive into it yeah. then yeah uh, what's funny though, Catherine, is that even in your first playthrough of um, Final Fantasy when you were young, um, you still got further than the territory this remake covers. Yes, um, <laughs> you got to the Chocobo farm. That's not in this game. No, it's not. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, thank you very much for sharing, though, Catherine. That's right, it's, no um, worries. Good insight. I look forward to spending. I will also spend my thirties um, and forties playing um, Final Fantasy VII <laughs> remake chapters as they roll out. Um, and I look, I look forward to um, chapter eighteen, which is just um, the weapon boss fights yeah. um, from the third <laughs> disc. Um, yeah. Okay. Great. So, one quick listener question here. Thanks for another great episode of the back page. I tend to be a last gen gamer these days, and have compiled a hefty list from the two top thirties that you ran through with Matthew. Oh, they address this to me specifically, I should say. <laughs> um, the Witcher Three Game of the Year edition is currently six ninety nine on the PlayStation Store, so I've grabbed that after the praise you both heaped on it. Dishonored Two, Titanfall Two, and Sekiro are games I have also ordered thanks to this. Oh. Um, yeah, uh, a, da- what a treat discovering mm. those three. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and uh, I bounced off of. Bloodborne and Dark Souls for similar reasons. The combat did nothing for me, particularly compared to gems like Bayonetta 2, which I thought might be on the list. I think Bayonetta 2 is a lesser game, but that's... Um, I'll get, <laughs> yeah, that, I agree. That could get to another episode, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wondered whether you played the Nioh titles and if they just missed the top 30. I have the first one downloaded, having enjoyed the Ninja Gaiden series on Xbox. It was great to hear your, how your tastes in games differ, and I had an idea for an episode. Favourite games from genres we don't like. Uh, I noticed there were no 1v1 fighting games, puzzle series, or sports titles. I think we had one puzzle game. Wasn't Kalimba puzzle game, Matthew? Um, yeah, kind yeah, of puzzle, puzzle platformer. platformer. Yeah. All right. Maybe Mario Golf, Soul Calibur 2, or Choo Choo Rocket rocked your socks off back in the day. It would be great to hear. Anyway, keep up the great work and have a lovely weekend, Grant Jones. Um, so a very nice question there, Matthew. Did um, either of you, have either of you played Dio? No. No. <laughs> Same. Well, <there> we go. <laughs> yeah. Same. I- I just um, I always heard it was a bit too heavy on the loot side of things, and was um, and the boss battles were kind of uh, quite annoying. But um, that's not to say I'll never play uh, play it. I also couldn't decide whether to play it on PS4 or PC. But um, I've, I've, I, yeah, I, I know a couple of people who really really rate this and say that like of the sort of Dark Souls alikes, it is um, it's pretty good. Mm. Um, Apparently, it is absolutely like even by those standards, rock hard. Yeah, though. that's 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 largely um, the reason why too, I haven't played it's it. Too scary for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm yeah. I've I've never really got on very well with this Dark Souls games, you know. And I think it's you know fr- from from what I I know about near it's it's very it's a very similar vibe, and I I don't think I'd get on with it if only. Uh, yeah, it's probably too hard for me. Yeah, well, like, um, I think I probably could play it after playing Sekiro, but I don't. 
know that I can. I don't know. I mean, I might play the um, maybe I'll play the remastered PS5 ones they're doing, but um, mm. yeah. But um, as for the um, favorite games from genres we don't like, I do quite like that. However, um, I resent the suggestion that uh, Rocket League is not a sports title. <laughs> um, how is uh, how are lots of cars driving into a big ball? How is that not a sport? That's what sport is. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, sport games have to be delivered to me via the medium of big cars, or I'm not interested. Um, no, I'll no, I, um, what, that's not yeah. a bad. Yeah, I'll, go on, I'll tell you what. Like my brothers and I were really quite into Mario Golf '64 back in the day. Weirdly, mm. um, yeah, that was like another one of our big multiplayer games that we'd often we'd often crank out. Is that the best oh, of the Mario sports games, Mario Golf? Ooh, pro- I, I'd say probably yes. Mm. I still think the N64 iterations of Golf and tennis, tennis yeah. are held to be the best of their respective. Yeah, we played a lot of Mario mm-hmm. Tennis as well on the N64. They're games that have only ever gotten worse. <laughs> I'm pretty sure yeah. that's fair to say. I would, I would 100% agree. Okay, great stuff. Um, well, that's um, that was the question. I think we've pretty much answered it there. I think like we we might. Um, that's not a bad idea for, idea for an episode. Mm. Um, I think. Um, yeah, one v. I, I've got some thoughts on those genres, but um, yeah, that will definitely kind of go into the bank as we um, think yeah. of our next season of episodes to do. So, thank you very much. Um, but yeah, that's the end of the episode. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, Catherine, thank you so much for your, um, for coming well, thank on. Thank you very much for having hope- me. Yeah, great. I'm glad to hear that because um, yeah, you just it's the first time we had a guest. I kind of thought, well, you know, like um, how will it go? Three people, the <laughs> dynamic and stuff. Even if two are in the same house, but. Um, <laughs> No, it's really awesome to hear about your experience working in media and um, to give us your top five. So thank you so much. No worries. Um, Thank you very much. Where can people follow you on Twitter, Catherine? So I'm on Twitter at at Burninator, which is, this this needs some explaining because I made it before I got married and the, you know, my my maiden name was Burn, but spelt B-Y-R-N-E. So Burninator is is B-Y-R-N-E inator. Um, I should probably change it because I keep every time this happens, I have to explain it, which is just very long winded. And I should probably change it to something that doesn't rely on people knowing how to spell my formerly, you know, my former last name. Um, oh, but yeah, it's got big. Burninator's got big Xbox Live gamer tag <laughs> 2008 energy. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think I probably. This is so badass. It's, it's, it's <laughs> cut forward fifteen years. Yeah. It's not great. Oh. Mm. But I've, I've henceforth, uh, yeah, henceforth refer to me as Castle Nater. Yes, <laughs> doesn't quite have the same ring to it, does it? I don't know. I probably will change it, but yeah, for, for the time being, it's at Burninator. Awesome, thank you so much. People can also check out your work on RockPaperShotgun.com. You can, yep, um, yep. That's uh, that's cool. And uh, Matthew, where can people follow you? I'm Mr. Basil underscore Pesto. I'm Samuel W. Roberts on Twitter. You can also follow the podcast at Backpage Pod on uh, Twitter. You can also tweet us questions there that we'll read out on each episode. You can also email questions to us at backpagegames at gmail.com where we'll pick them up. Um, So thank you very much for listening and we'll be back next week. Bye for now.
but no no that's um good stuff uh so yeah i am um, just to wrap up then we have like a listener question here um Ooh. catherine i'd like you to answer the question oh, too okay. um, because you're our guest here <laughs> um so um actually is it a question really actually let me sorry i'll, I'll cut this bit out but i'm just like i should just read it back because i just kind of got it in my inbox and pasted it in without thinking about it uh there is a question about neo at the end i think is oh yeah that, have you, is that the question? you played that catherine i haven't no have you played that? <laughs> but i can okay. talk about why i haven't <laughs> uh yeah i think it should be fine i just sort of like i wouldn't mind finding like one more way to bring you back into the conversation catherine before we wrap up because i feel like i i talked for a while so um yeah i don't know i sort of trying to think there's anything more on the mario side i feel like we've kind of covered it um what do you reckon matthew uh yeah it's 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 not really a question is it it's like a night the question is have we played Neo? <laughs> Which That's is pretty cool. niche. Well, it's also like you know, if if they if those games missed, like we could talk about, or yeah, you know, or certainly you could talk about, like you know, what what did miss your top thirty? I guess. Um, mm, I, could, I mean, I could like, I could ambush you, Catherine, with like, <laughs> what were your sort of like five best games of the generation? Because you're joining us, um, but could you think of those off the top of your head? That's probably quite too big an ask, isn't it? Um, just trying to think. think I should have thought a bit more about this. Hold like, on. what's the last kind of guest element I could bring into this? Let me just load up my big spreadsheet of games. That would give me. You a... have a spreadsheet of games. <laughs> Amazing. Catherine is incredibly organised in every element of her life. <laughs> I see. It's the, it's the contrast that works so well in yes. this relationship. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm like, let me look at my pile of games. Looks across a pile of games. They are on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh dear <laughs> uh, guys I appear to have an open fire in my room <laughs> we're just talking Wii U PS4 and Xbox right yeah yeah. yeah. we could always we could also, just a couple we could always do like another we could always do like your top five games of last year if that's easier to do Catherine uh, just because it might it just might be cool to ask you like a little something and then maybe we can ask each guest like, and it's good question. it's almost like yeah, it's 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 almost good if it's a format that we can roll out whenever we have a guest, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Um, like we can, you can end. You know, like it is quite neat to be able to say, like, you know, oh, one of our popular episodes we did, we did games of the generation, so we like to ask people, um, what were their games of the last generation? Yeah, that, that I think that is good. I'm really sorry, Catherine. Right. I should have planned this properly. That's okay, don't um, worry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I can. I've got I've got a list of the games I played last year, but I could also probably pick out like a couple of you know. I I sort of largely play. Doesn't say to be a top five. Could just be like a couple of picks of their favorite. You know, here are a couple of my favorites from the last generation. generation. That is good. Yeah, yeah, Uh, that's cool. Right. Yeah. Let me just. By all means, take a minute to like give us some thought. Yeah. Uh... I think we should keep this all in. (laughs) You're kidding, kidding, right? (laughs) Oh dear. Uh... It's a bit too warts at all, isn't it? It's um, <laughs> Samuel hasn't planned. People the are like, wow, this is really experimental. <laughs> this is like Birdman as a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I would listen to that. Uh, uh, it's a bit like how in at the whenever he interviews anyone on the big picture, he always says he always ends with like, "What have you been playing? What have you been watching in lockdown?" Yeah, I mean, uh, that's um, it says a lot, really, that I don't think I've ever heard that said to a guest because I never reached that part of the big picture. Oh, yeah, listen to the, ep- <laughs> the interviews. He's like, oh, yeah, now I'm speaking to the director of this film. You can stream now on a service not available in the UK. Oh, <laughs> yeah. time to put The Simpsons podcast on. 
about a Czechoslovakian shoemaker. <laughs> and you're like, mm, I think I'm okay. <laughs> like, you're like, oh, that's not going to be Denzel Washington, is it? <laughs> uh, I, I, to be fair, I listened to his interview with Ed Norton, and it was it was all right. It was good. He's like he's a very he's a very good film boy who knows his films. Some of the interviews, I get the impression he does them quite late at night. And he's trying not to be, and he's doing them at home because it sounds like he's having, he sounds like he's sort of almost whispering so not to wake up someone in the next room. <laughs> right. It's a very strange one with Amanda Seyfried. It's got a very weird vibe to it because it's almost like he's like, so what do you, uh, what do you, what do you enjoy in your last film? <laughs> you know, it's very kind of <laughs> muted and creepy. And, and, and when you respond, Amanda, can you please keep your voice down? Um... <laughs> <laughs> whisper, whisper me your thoughts on Mank. <laughs> What was it like to be the one person who had to do any acting in Mank? Um, yeah, she was not made. We've not we've not made, made our way through Mank yet. No. Oh god! Well, we think Mank. we we watched like the first like I don't know five ten minutes and then thought like half an did hour. Did we watch half an hour? Yeah. Well, yeah. shows how much I'm paying attention. <laughs> well, I mean, the first half an hour or the first ten minutes are still Gary Oldman shouting in bed, sitting in a bed. Yes. Yeah. Mm, where's my whiskey? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think like what really bothered me is that um i watched citizen kane fairly recently for the first time as i mentioned on the podcast and it's like a hundred times better than mank like um <laughs> i was quite annoyed that people were like oh well if you have if you don't know citizen kane really well you won't understand why this is amazing and i was like nah i'm pretty sure citizen kane is amazing and this is just like some self-indulgent wank but you know, <laughs> yeah oh, dear. how's it going Catherine? if we um do you think you've got a couple of things to talk about? Yeah, probably. You won't be held to this. It's only for the sake of the podcast. Yeah, I'm just making sure, just That's going through my list of that I haven't missed anything like massively important. Um, Have you got a, like a column of scores that you arrange by, and then you're like, oh no, it's, it's 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 just a, it's, it's just like a list of games that I've like I've played and and or have completed, um, just so that I sort of have I, I sort of keep track of what I play every year. Um, mm just so that I've sort of got some, I don't know, like sometimes if you, if I sort of, like probably like a couple of years ago, I thought like, when was the last time I played X game? Um, you know, mm. and so it's, it's, it's mainly a thing for like to aid that kind of those weird memory moments where I thought, when was the last time I played Zelda, this particular Zelda game or something? Um, then I could look at my giant spreadsheet and say, yes, I played that game in 2012. <laughs> um <laughs> I did start. I did start doing this for films actually because I found that last year I could scarcely say that the time happened at all yeah. unless I like <laughs> wrote down that I did a thing on a day. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's the only the only history I have of that last year is my Twitter account and that and the list of films I saw. Um, <laughs> right. I think I probably. What do you yeah, reckon? I've got about like probably five or six. I could. Oh, great! I could, great stuff. I could cool. Pull out. Right. I think. 